You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Genesis chapter 30. Guest, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. We're going to continue in our series this morning through the book of Genesis, which we have titled God's Story of Creation to Restoration. If you are a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say and not what I have to say. That's why we have the scripture read, which Holly did so beautifully there for us, and that we come to God's word to hear and to submit our lives to it. If you are not a follower of Christ today, I pray that you will see this is a, one, a safe place to ask questions and hear what God is about and who we are as his people and how we live out the gospel together. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles and turn to page 25 to follow along with us. Again, if you do not have a Bible, please take that one. It's a gift uh, from us. We would love for you to have a Bible to read along uh, as we go through the book of Genesis. As we start this morning... Do you ever find yourself wondering, will God keep his promises? Will God keep his promises? Now, I know for a lot of us in the room, we we have hopes and dreams and we have plans and we're asking the Lord, uh, what is next for us? And we're wondering, God, are you going to be there along the way? Some of us have come uh, even here to this area and built a life here and have wondered, God, are you still here with us? Is God going to be faithful? And maybe even specifically to today in 2023, we look across the world with war. Is our God going to be faithful? We look around the world and we see children who are hungry. We see people displaced. God, are you going to keep your promises? And church said it is a resounding yes. And although there, there are times and there are difficulties, our God is working out his promises. We've seen this throughout the book of Genesis. It's not perfect, at least in the way that we're responding, but it is God's plan to restore all things to himself And so this morning, we come to the end of chapter 30. It's a particular point in the story of Genesis. And here's what we're going to see this morning. Jacob multiplies in offspring and possessions as a result of God's blessing as he prepares to return home. And that's important that Jacob is going to go back to the promised land, the land that he promised his grandfather Abraham. Now, if you're a disciple today, you've called the name of Jesus you're trying to walk in his ways and walk with his people, what should you do? What should we be reminded of? Church, we must not be fooled or fool ourselves into thinking, believing that we are the source of our own blessing. We cannot fool ourselves into believing that we are the source of our own blessing. Now, let me set that in context. Let's recap. If, if you've not been here for a while, this is a great uh, time for you to kind of see where we are in the story of Genesis. It's a transition point in the relationship of Laban and Jacob. Laban is Jacob's uncle. Their relationship is about to come to an end as Jacob desires to return home to the promised land of Canaan. But for us to understand the implications of the story, we must understand the surrounding context of Genesis up to this point. 
So if we think back to Genesis chapter 1, what did we learn? That God makes Adam and Eve in his image to be his governors of, of the whole earth and to spread the goodness of God's rule all around the world. In verse 28 of chapter 1, God, uh, the Bible says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. And we, in the first chapter, we see our God bless his people. But notice what this blessing is surrounded by. What this blessing actually is, it, it's, it's people. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Yes, to have children, but to spread people all across the world who know God intimately in a, in a relationship. And he gives them possessions. He gives them the garden, food, everything they would need. And he gives them protection. He's with them. His presence is with them always. Well, we know that in Genesis chapter 3, all of that changes. It shifts It becomes difficult for humanity. Why? Because they have rebelled against God. And sin ravages the world. And particularly, humanity begins to try to fulfill its own mission, get its own fame, and not God's fame. But in Genesis chapter 12, God calls out Abraham. And Abraham will be God's solution to the problem. Not because Abraham's great. Abraham doesn't even know. But God calls out Abraham. Abraham to work his plan of restoration out for all of humanity and the whole world. God promises to bless Abraham. And what does that blessing include? He says, I will make you into a great nation. Oh, by the way, his wife can't have children. So he has a people. He says, I'm going to give you a land that I will show you. I'm not telling you where it's at, but I'm going to show it to you. That's a possession. And anyone who cursed him, God would also curse. Or anyone who would bless him, God would bless. So now Abraham is the family of promise. And we continue to trace the seed all the way back from Genesis chapter 3, the offspring of Adam and Eve, the one who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. Now it's going to come from the family of Abraham. And we saw Abraham be, at times, show great faith and at times show great struggle uh, to obey God and to, to have faith that he's going to keep his promises. Abraham has children, a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, which is where we find ourselves today. But in Genesis chapter 28, we get to that grandson, Jacob, who has messed up the blessing, so it seems. Because he's lied to his father and cheated his brother, now he must leave the promised land. He must flee for his life because his brother Esau wants to kill him. Will God keep his promises? In church, that's an absolute resounding yes. God visits Jacob and reassures him that he is faithful to his promise to his grandfather. And so a couple weeks ago, we saw that, that Jacob got a people. He has a family, right? Supernaturally, he opens the wounds of these women. But he doesn't just have a possession, right? He, he doesn't actually have anything for his family, He doesn't actually have a way to provide for them. And so then next week, we're going to see God's protection. But Genesis 30 falls in the middle of Jacob's two journeys. Number one, the journey to Aram to find his uncle Laban, and then the journey, two to go back home to Canaan. 
And so Genesis 29 and 30 detail God's blessing of offspring. And now God's blessing will develop so rapidly, it will be way more than Jacob could ever imagine with these possessions of these flocks. And we must understand Jacob's family and possession are a direct promise of God's word. So now, in the middle of God's blessing of Jacob, we will get to, get to see an interesting a conversation, interaction between his uncle Laban and Jacob. And so this encounter draws attention to three responses. This encounter draws three responses to God's blessing. So response number one, we must acknowledge the source of blessing. We must acknowledge the source of blessing. I want to remind you of Jacob and Laban's relationship. Remember, Jacob had worked for Laban for at least 14 years after he was tricked into marrying uh, Leah, and, and then he works again for Rachel. And just as Jacob had deceived his brother and father, so Jacob was, was deceived. And to be honest, as, we, as we've seen over the last few weeks, I don't think their relationship is good. I, I think it's probably on the rocks. It's probably about to come unraveled which is now where we see Jacob's request come into play. Look at verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, now that Jacob's family is complete, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so that I can return to my homeland. Give me my wives and my children that I have worked for and let me go. You know how hard I have worked for you. And so Jacob now has children as a sign of blessing from God, but he doesn't have anything to support them with. He's been working to, to actually, was one to be married to Rachel, but then he's tricked into marrying Leah first. And I think Jacob's probably worked pretty hard for this, as he even says in the text. In reality, he's worked six to seven times more than a traditional dowry would have costed. Again, he was tricked by his uncle. And at the end of the day, Jacob wants to return home. And remember that his mother only wanted him to be gone for a few days, maybe a week or two. Why? Because Esau is going to kill him. So just go to your uncle Laban's, Jacob, and stay there for a few days. And once the anger of your brother subsides, you can come and return home. Well, it's been, it's been decades now that Jacob has been away from his family. So we see Jacob's request, but we also see Laban's response. Look at verse 27. But Laban said to him, if, you found any, if I found any favor with you, stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Then Laban said, name your wages and I will pay them. Now, church, when we read Old Testament stories, we want to be good Bible readers. What we see here is we want to pay attention to what, did the, what does the narrator say, number one. But number two, what does the characters say? What do they say? It's important to notice that there's a contrast here. Look back up there. How does Laban know that he has received blessing because of Jacob? He says, through divination. Of course, divination is worthless. It doesn't give you anything. It's not, it's not true. It wasn't needed. Laban may know that Jacob was indeed the cause for his increase in wealth, but it wasn't. he didn't know it because of divination. Laban could have asked Jacob, hey, he could have asked about his grandfather. Tell me about your grandfather that left our family and then started a new life. Tell me about the God that he worshiped. Laban doesn't do that. Laban wants Jacob to stay to continue to enjoy God's blessing secondhand. He wanted to use Jacob to continue to build his wealth. If there was no Jacob, then there's no blessing. There's no continued wealth. At the end of the day, Laban does not care about knowing God, but only what God can give him. 
how often do we use God like a vending machine? In which we just go to him and say, God, will you give me this? I think this is what's best for me. Please give me this. How often do we go to God like he is our vending machine and we get to press the right buttons and do the right things and just get back what we want? That's what Laban's doing. He's using Jacob to continue his wealth. Well, look here now at Jacob's response to Laban. It's set in contrast to what we just heard. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how, hard, uh, how your hearts have fared with me. For you have had very little before I came, but now your wealth has increased. The Lord has blessed you because of me. And now when will I also do something for my own family? If Jacob's going to stay, then Laban's going to have to pay him. He's going to have to pay up. And Jacob isn't going to stay for, for just anything. Again, why does Jacob ask for wages? Because Laban has increased because of him. He's being used. But notice the difference in their explanations. Notice the, the difference. Jacob doesn't need any outside help. Jacob says that the Lord has blessed you because of me. Jacob has acknowledged the source of his blessing. Jacob knows that it is only God, Yahweh, the king of the universe, by which he has been blessed and that he's been a blessing to others. The question for Jacob still remains, though. How is Jacob going to provide for his family? You can see it in Jacob's response. God has blessed you through me. There's a hint of complaint in his words. It's easy to complain when we think we deserve God's blessing. It's easy to complain when we see other people enjoy God's blessing or enjoy just God's common grace to other people when we think we deserve it. But remember, church, God did not choose Jacob because he was great or awesome. In fact, he's been the opposite. He's been a liar and a cheater. God chose him because it was in God's kindness and his mercy and his grace. And so God can choose to show blessing to anyone that he chooses because he is sovereign over this world. And so may that help our hearts understand whatever the Lord gives us, that we're okay with that and that we're content in those things. And so Laban responds, what should I I give you? And Jacob said, you don't have to give me anything. If you do this one thing for me, I will continue to shepherd and keep your flock. Let me go through all your sheep today and remove every sheep that is speckled or spotted, every dark-colored sheep among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the female goats. Such will be my wages. So now Jacob sets out a, a plan to gain possessions. And to be honest, it's a little risky. Rather, sheep that were pure-coated were supposed to be the pure. They were supposed to be stronger sheep and goats. They're supposed to be better. They're supposed to fare better in the world. But Jacob says, I'll take the spotted and the off-colored ones. Verse 33, in the, in the future, when you come to check on my wages, my honesty will testify for me. If I have any female goats that are not speckled or spotted, that is, that they will be fully uh, one color, or any lambs that are not black, they will be considered stolen. So Jacob will be shepherding Laban's flocks, but will keep the weaker sheep and goats for himself, so it seems. And he will then have at least some possessions. And so what does Laban think about this? Verse 34, good, said Laban, let it be as you have said. So he agrees. Or the only way, or the only thing that can keep us from fooling ourselves is believing and acknowledging that the source of blessing comes from God. 
It's to rightly acknowledge the source of blessing in our lives. So Jacob does that. He does it well. He says, this is because of God. This is not because of anything else. It's because of God. But will this acknowledgement help Jacob respond rightly? Will will the acknowledgement actually help him respond rightly? Which brings us to our second response. We must act faithfully to the source of blessing. We must act faithfully to the source of blessing. Once Jacob and Laban struck the deal, you can imagine Laban turning around and smiling to himself, thinking, I've suckered this poor poor guy again. Like, I've got him. He's going to work for me, and he's going to help my flocks do a wonderful job, and he's just going to get the weak animals. He's going to take the weak animals off my hands. So Laban thinks, I've done it again. I've got him again. And he actually, look what, uh, Laban actually tries to hedge his bets. Look there at verse 35. The day Laban removed the streaked and the spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one that any white on it and every dark colored one among the lambs, and he placed his sons in charge of them. So he separates. He, he, he says, yeah, you take care of those, uh, Lab, uh, Jacob, and I'll take the ones so that they don't intermingle. And so Laban's scheme to try and meddle with the flock himself. And he wants to create an advantage between the two herds. So he, he takes a long uh, three days journey uh, to be in front of them. He's trying to protect his investment. For some of us in our church, we, we hold positions of blessing. We have the opportunity to, to be generous to other people. And instead of being like Laban, trust the Lord, his timing and his blessing So be fair and kind and generous with your blessing. Remember, the point of our blessing is not for ourselves. It's for others too. The question, though, is still, how does Jacob respond? Well, we see Jacob secretly tries to outwit Laban. How many times has Laban got the best of Jacob? He's worked his tail off. He's worked for his family. He's got nothing to prove for it. So in an effort to make up ground... Jacob tries to turn their arrangement into a guarantee. Look there at verse 37. Jacob then took the branches of fresh poplar, almond, and plain wood and peeled the bark, exposing white strips on the branches. So Jacob goes and he finds these trees. He gets the branches from the trees and he shaves off the bark. And so they're exposed with part of the wood now showing bright. And now here's where things get interesting. Verse 38, he set the peeled branches in the troughs in front of the sheep, in the water channels where the sheep came to drink, and the sheep bred where they came to drink. So when the sheep came and they drank, and then they, they were breeding, and so he's trying to manipulate when they're breeding. Verse 39, the flocks bred in front of the branches and bore speckled, a streak speckled and spotted young. Jacob separated the lambs and made them the flocks face the streaked sheep and completely drank uh, dark sheep in Laban's flocks. Then he set his own st- stock apart and didn't put them with Laban's sheep. So he's, again, he's now manipulating this, at least he thinks, and he's trying to have all the spotted uh, and, and speckled and streaked uh, flock together. He's really selectively breeding. Uh, he's trying some form of ancient eugenics. He, he thinks that he's going to get more, uh, better, more powerful sheep uh, and goats so that they can last longer. Look at verse 41. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob placed the branches in the troughs in full view of the flocks, and they would breed in front of the branches. As for now, the weaklings of the flocks, he did not put out 
the branches. So he's choosing which ones he wants. Jacob wanted to ensure that the weaker animals went to Laban and that the strong animals stayed with him. His good desire to provide for his family has caused him to deal unfairly with his uncle. Here's the deal. We all live in a world full of Labans. The question isn't about who's going to get out on top, but rather how will you respond in those situations? We cannot fight fire with fire. Our acknowledgement of God as the only source of blessing must lead to faith-filled action. When the truth is acknowledged from the onset, which happened for Jacob, it should cause us, it should change our motives, it should change the way we live so that it reflects the truth of what we just said. We all know what the opposite of that is. It's called a hypocrite. And so Jacob struggles here because he knows the truth, but now he's trying to, to manipulate the situation. Church, do we not often think we can engineer more than we can? Do we not think that we have more control than we actually do? We're mistaken. We think we can engineer our own safety, our own health, our children and, and, the, and the way they should go. We must rely fully on the Lord and his promises, not our abilities, not our giftings, not the things that the, Lord's has, the Lord has provided. We must adopt a humble posture to trust the Lord and his word. Because oftentimes we get in the middle of trying to control all these things. And if the last few years haven't shown us that we are not in control, then we need to be brought to that place so that we can begin to grow a heart of humility and trust before the Lord. But look down there at verse 42. So it turned out that the weak sheep belonged to Laban and the stronger ones to Jacob. But why? Why did this happen? Verse 43. And the man became very rich. He had many flocks, female and male slaves and camels and donkeys. The question still remains, why did this happen? Jacob has plenty, more than he could ever want. But I want to show you something important. Don't miss this. Here in verses 42 and 43, there's a little explanation here in the passage of why Jacob got so rich. The same phrases are used back up in verses 27 through 29, which is talking about Laban's blessing and now used to describe Jacob's blessing. This is the point. It is God who called or caused Jacob to flourish. And just for good measure, if you're struggling to see the connection, let's skip over to the next chapter, right, which we're going to get to next week, and look down at verses 9 through 12. I'm going to read that for you. This is Jacob talking to Rachel and Leah. God has taken away your father's herds and given them to me. When the flocks were breeding, I saw in a dream that the streaked, spotted, and speckled males were mating with the females. In that dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, look up and see all the males that are mating with the flocks are streaked, spotted, and speckled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. So we, we get some inside information later on down the line. Right? Jacob is clear here to, to Leah and, and Rachel. The Lord was the one that caused Jacob's growth, at least the growth of the flocks and not himself. It wasn't his weird ancient practice to put sticks in front of animals. That didn't cause it. It was God who caused it. But notice Jacob's knowledge doesn't cause him to trust God. Church knowledge isn't worth anything if it isn't tied to faith. 
It's easy for us to say that we know God, know his promises, know that Jesus is the way to salvation, but then our actions actually refute that very fact. Our acknowledgement of the truth must lead to faith-filled action. How often do you find yourself in the moment of trying to, trying to convince yourself of something that's, that you know is true, but it's, it's not causing any motivation? Why? Because there's these other beliefs in your, in your heart and in your mind that are vying for that. They're vying for your attention. They're vying for your heart. And so we have to evaluate, what do I really believe? Not just what I say. What do I believe about God and what do I believe about his people Because what we believe actually comes out in how we act. And so church, we want to align our actions with the truth. We want to align our actions with who God is. And Jacob doesn't do that. It seems that he knows, but he's so close. And so now Jacob has been given people and possessions. God has blessed him. He, He can now return home. He can provide for his family. But notice here, these two, these two steps for us to rightly respond to both acknowledge the source of blessing, but also act according to that source of blessing, which is God himself. We must acknowledge and we must act. But the, how does the gospel fuel these responses? How does the gospel fuel these responses? What brings us to our third and final response? We can anticipate the full blessing of God in Christ. We can anticipate the full blessing of God in Christ. Church, Jacob has received the blessings of God in tangible ways. He's been given children, particularly 12 sons. He's been given possessions of flocks and herds, but there's still one more thing he doesn't have. He doesn't have the land. His land was promised to his grandfather. Jacob still has to trust the Lord. He must wait for God to finish his promises. He must wait for God to complete his blessing. Church, don't we find ourselves in the same place as Jacob? Don't we find ourselves in his shoes? Not because we're waiting for some land or more money or more possessions, but because we await our new home. Or the prosperity gospel, that is to say, if you just have more faith, then God will give you what you want. If you just have more faith, God will make you healthy. If, if you have more faith, God will bless your family. If you have more faith, God will not allow conflict to happen in your family. All of those are lies. So church, really carefully think, because this happens to us. I can remember as a child, I I knew the gospel, I had professed faith in Christ, and I I remember this time I woke up sick, and I'm thinking, what have have I done, well, how have I sinned to make me sick? It, It seeps into our hearts and minds when we don't even know it. And so church, be very careful about what you acknowledge and what you believe because in it, it works its way into our actions. This blessing, though, of a new home and a new world and a new creation is located in, the, in God's promises, located in his promise to restore all things. God's blessing has nothing to do with us. You, you can do nothing to change it. And that should be comforting to you. That no matter how much you mess up, Think of Jacob. It's actually the opposite of the prosperity gospel. Jacob does everything you could possibly do not to get the blessing. Right? He lies. He cheats. He tries to trick. He marries two women. Like, what in the world? Jacob is the one who should not get God's blessing. But he does. Because our God is gracious. 
Don't be fooled into thinking that your faith gains you material blessing or wealth. Because that's not what's happening. You're not Jacob in the story. Don't be fooled into believing that your weak faith, though, loses your blessing either. You see, in Christ, God has provided a people. That's the church. God has done what he said, even to Jacob. You now sitting out here today are children of Abraham. You are children of the promise. And now we are God's people. And this church fills the earth with worshipers. God has provided possessions. You might say, what is that? That's the kingdom of God. That we are now partakers in the kingdom of God. Even though it's not fully here yet, we now experience, even in this moment, that we get to experience God's kingdom in our lives. And then really, we see God's protection. What did Jesus say at the end of the book of Matthew? He says, go do this, go make disciples, fill the whole world with disciples, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you always. So we have his protection and his assurance. The only thing that we wait for now is a new home to be with God. The new heavens and the new earth. Let me read to you from Isaiah 65, verse 17. This is God talking. For I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Peter picks up on this promise that God has made about a new heavens and a new earth. But this is where righteousness dwells. It's not based on anything else other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you know him, you've submitted your life to him, then you get to experience that new creation. You get to experience God's home. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. You see, Revelation 21 gives us a picture of God's restoration of all things. And so the promise that God has made here in Genesis, here even to us now in the 21st century, we await the fulfillment of God's final promise to, to us, that in Christ we will be brought home, that everything will be made new. And here's the truth, church. Nothing can jeopardize our new home. Nothing can keep God from keeping his promises. Not pain. Not suffering. Not the conflict going on in your life. Not those who have abandoned you. Not sickness. Not even your enemies. People who don't like you. None of those things can keep God from keeping his promises. Not even war. Church, the events of the last week should cause us to ask the question, what, what, what is God's promise? Because we're not in control. Now we should pray because every person around the world is made in the image of God. And we should pray for peace. But at the end of the day, when you look on the news and you see what's happening, whether it's in the Middle East or in Europe, 
it, it can cause it can cause heartache and, and be scared. But war cannot change the destiny of those who follow Christ ever. There may be lots more wars. We don't know, but what we can know is that God will make all things new and we can trust him. In Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God? Death, nor height, nor width. Nothing, not enemies, nothing can separate us from the love of God which will get us to that promise. In just a few moments, we just saying, you're the God of Abraham. You're the God of covenant, of faithful promises. This is our God. He is, the faith, he is faithful, even when our faith is weak. His promise is not based on if you have more faith. It's based on his son, Jesus Christ. He's faithful even when we try to hedge our bets. Even when we try to, to, to control the situation. Even when we fall back into our sinful ways. Our God is faithful to us. The question, though, is how is he faithful? He's faithful in Jesus. In Jesus, we receive the full blessing of God. You see, Jesus, being fully God, came in the form of a man, being born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. And then he gave his life. He submitted his life to death, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Death that he would hang on a cross and give his life, be killed by the Jews and the Romans, and what, what would he be doing? He would be paying for our sin. He would be restoring the way things should be that we could have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He was buried for three days. But God's promises being fulfilled, Jesus was raised on the third day. And now Jesus reigns in heaven and is in control of all things. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. This is our God. This is who he is, and he will come back. You see, Jesus, after he left his disciples, he ascended into heaven. That's where he's at, but he will come back for his people to restore all things, to right all the wrongs, to calm all the wars, to heal all the pain, all the suffering, all the sickness. That's what Jesus is coming to do. And so, if I'm honest, though, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have that security. You don't have it. And I'm not trying to be mean or scare you. That's not what I want. You cannot be scared into heaven. You cannot be scared into a relationship with God. But what I can tell you is if you don't have that, you do not have that promise. The only way to get that promise is to submit your life to Jesus in faith. To give it all away. To give up all the hopes and dreams. To submit it to Jesus and what he's done for you. And what he's going to call you to do, which is to give your life and lay it down. And so if you've accepted Christ and submitted your life to him, then you get to experience that promise. But if you don't know Jesus, I implore you this morning, submit your life to the lordship of King Jesus. It's better. It's better than anything you could imagine. Even when Jacob gets back to the promised land, there's a famine at the end of the book of Genesis. Jacob can't even imagine how good God's promises are. We can't even imagine how good the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So may you trust him. And may you give your life to him. Because our God is faithful. And he keeps his promises. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, you are a faithful God. Faithful to generations after us. You've been faithful 
to our, to our families. You've been faithful to those who share the gospel with us. You've been faithful for all of history. And so, God, may we never fool ourselves into thinking that we're in control or that we are the source of our own blessing, that we can make it happen. God, will we see that blessing is from you. And that blessing is to be a part of your family, to be a part of a new people. May that blessing, may we experience your presence with us in the Holy Spirit and with the church. God, would you now as we believe and acknowledge the right things, may we act according to faith. And God, would you help us anticipate our, our blessing, our new home, that we can live no matter what comes our way, what comes in our path, we can trust you. God, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.